Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is episode 22, 22. I don't know why I'm singing 22, but I am. <laughs> all right, you know you know all this, but let's just go over it one more time for the cheap seats in the back. Don't take notes. I've taken notes. Go on my website, elizabethrfuller.com. I'm a professional food and product photographer. That's how I pay my bills. Do you want to work together? Let's do it. Shoot me an email. Do you have an email for the podcast? Do you have a question for the podcast? Do you want to be on the podcast? Do you want to advertise on the podcast? Email me, let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. Oh man, let's just do it. Let's go on a food adventure, everybody. <laughs> so today's episode. Today's episode was something someone, one of my good friends, approached me about and said, Can we talk about this? And I said, Sure. <laughs> it's something that I didn't even think people would want to talk about, but we're going to talk about it. And it's, uh, it may be a little controversial. No, I'm kidding. It's not at all. It's actually very silly and funny. And um, my guest today is even sillier and even funnier and somebody I've known forever. So today we're going to talk about tinned fish. (laughs) Let that sink in for a second. Tinned fish. I didn't really know tinned fish was a thing beyond tuna fish. Um, Probably until... I don't know, maybe five years ago when I went to Portugal. And don't get me wrong, like I've walked down the aisle where there are tins of fish. I use anchovies in a lot of cooking. I understand that there's like sardines and other types of tin fish out there. I just didn't know the gravity of this situation and people's affinity for tin fish until I went to Lisbon, Portugal. And when I went there... First off, I saw an Anthony Bourdain episode of him going to Lisbon, which is pretty much how my husband and I ate the entire trip, was based on where did Anthony Bourdain go, we're going there. And I mean, like, we ticked off some serious bucket list places on that trip. And some of the best seafood I've ever had in my life was on that trip. And I live in New England, people. We have seafood everywhere. It doesn't hold a candle to some of the seafood I ate on that trip in Portugal. If you've never been to Portugal, go. It is one of the most beautiful countries. I think it is something like there's, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but like other countries around it are more popular because it's like France and Spain. But Portugal, man, I would go back in a heartbeat. The people are so nice. The food is incredible. If you've never had Vino Verde, you need to. It's this beautiful green wine. They call it a green wine. I mean, it's very similar to a a lighter Sauvignon Blanc sort of. Um, you know, there's some acidity to it. There's some citrusy notes to it. But it almost has this uh, 
minerality, effervescency kind of quality to it. It's delicious and it's a little on the sweeter, you know, mid to, it's not very dry is my point. Oh my gosh, it's delicious. The, the, the culture in Portugal, the way that they just enjoy the day and enjoy each other's company, go, go. But my, my point about all of this is that the Portuguese love tinned fish. It is a thing, people. They have restaurants that are just dedicated to tinned fish. So I'm saying all of this because the whole episode is dedicated to all things tinned fish. My guest and I do talk in the beginning, though, about events and uh, music and, you know, what he does for a living. And then we get into the tinned fish. So it is a hybrid type of episode where we do talk about events um, from a vendor standpoint and from a musician standpoint. And then we talk about tinned fish. And we t- we both him and I together are so incredibly verbose that um, we're just going to get right into it. Okay. My guest. He is an incredibly accomplished musician. He's been doing this basically since he came out of the womb. He's been in bands like The Pills, performed with the B-52s, Juliana Hatfield, Jimmy Cliff, worked with Mary Wilson from The Supremes, recorded at Abbey Road Studio just to name a few of his incredible accomplishments. Let's just have him dust off that little thing on his shoulder right there. He's a massive, and I mean massive, Beatles fan. But he also happens to be one of my favorite people in the world to eat, drink, and really just talk and bullshit about music with for hours. We've done it. We've been friends for about a thousand years. I love him with all of my heart. His wife happens to be one of my best friends on the planet, as is he, as is he. But seriously, please, please give a round of applause, a standing ovation, and a warm, warm welcome to Corin Ashley. You can just start. You can start. Let's go on a food adventure. Let's go on a food adventure. Let's go on a food adventure with my I love that you were the first person that gave me a theme song. Now we have a theme song to the podcast. I'll do it again better when you when when we're really doing this, okay? We are really doing this now. Okay, I'll do it again. Okay. Okay, one one more time for the cheap seats in the back, everybody. Here we go. Let's go. We're going to keep both versions in though, because maybe right. the listeners need to pick which one, but so now we're That's actually right. going, you're going to have to record it and then we're going to have to, yeah. And it's now the new theme song. That's, that's really exciting. I am Beth, so happy you're here, buddy. How are we going to keep from talking all over each other with our excitement and exuberance and well, enthusiasm? It's just who we are. The listeners will deal and they'll enjoy our enthusiasm and exuberance as well. Those are, that's a good scrapple word. I'm not going to lie. Right there. We've got vim, vigor, and verve. Oh, verve. Verve. And that's like some alliteration, right? Right. All that. All that in a bag of chips. Look at you. (laughs) That's what you are. 
Yeah. All that, a bag of chips. Right. Yeah. We're, yeah. Well, you know, child of the eighties. Um, mm. So leading up to this, I've already done your intro and everyone knows how much I mm. love you and Aww. how wonderful you are. Thank but you. I do think for the listeners who don't know you as well as they should, we need to kind of go back. And I mean, Let's go back in time. Yeah. We're going to talk about where corn came from. <laughs> and then we're going to go, and then we're going to go to the progression of where you are today. So you, even though you basically spent the majority of your life living in New England, you're actually from a little state, which is actually a pretty large state named Pennsylvania. That's right. Yeah. And where did, what town did you grow up in? I grew up on a dirt road surrounded yeah. by woods in a log cabin somewhat near Birdsboro, Pennsylvania. And for people who don't know where that is, what's another made like a slightly the bustling larger... metropolis that's about a half an hour from Reading. Oh, there you go. About an hour from Philadelphia. So you're flying in and out of Philly if you're taking yes. an airplane. I'm taking the Amtrak out of Philly. <laughs> or the Amtrak. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. Or you could bring your Amish buggy and you that's can right. take that. Yeah. Okay. We're kind of in that direction, like the I know, sort of. I mean, yeah, yeah kind of. So when did you move here? You were I moved old. here at the age of 18. To go to Berkeley. Uh, yes. I, I played in cover bands when I was a teenager. And I just needed to get out of there and try to find some way to be a musician. Mm -hmm. um, I went to this really small high school with like 90 people in my graduating class. And in that class, three of us are professional musicians, which is kind of amazing. Wow. Isn't that incredible? That's my incredible. best friend growing up, my best friend growing up was this absolute virtuoso. We met when I was like 14, started a band when I was like 14 and a half. And he was like two years younger than me. His name is Richie Kotzen and any- Hold like, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I love the, it's like from our generation back, when you mention someone that you grew up with, you always give first and last name. Always. Yeah. It's never just, oh, my buddy Richie. Oh, no, 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 oh. no, no. Like you need, because you probably had more than one buddy Richie, which I'm, I know you probably didn't, but you have to always give first and last name. Okay, go ahead, please continue. Well, so we started out playing cover bands together and the- situation quickly evolved that he was much much better as a musician than i was i mean he was just like you know this had great um this carried a lot of weight in this at this time in the 80s but he could play every van halen solo just perfectly and that's what you're looking for in a, in so, a musician for a cover band at right. that time frame yeah so uh, and we could never find a bass player we were out in the middle of the country with like cows and stuff there were no bass players we had we had one guy that was pretty good but richie's mom saw him smoking so he wasn't allowed to come back <laughs> He got 86 big time. There you go, mm -hmm. right out. So one day I came into rehearsal and there was a, a precision bass in the corner and a PV amp. And I was like, wow, who's going to play bass? And everybody just looked at me and smiled. Oh my God. And I was a bass player. And that's how that was born. And that was like the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I really found something that I just loved yeah. a lot. It really resonated with me. So at the age of 18, Richie moved to California and I moved to Boston and then he got a record deal and then joined Poison and Mr. Big and has made like 25 albums and opened up for the Rolling Stones under his own name and has a new album out with Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden. Oh, my God. Was he it's in the incredible. original Mr. Big lineup? No, he was in they. Uh, no, he was the, the secondary Mr. Big lineup. Just just played big, just played the Tokyo Dome a couple of times a year. Of course, because he had the one hit. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. all that's all you need to play at the Tokyo and he was Dome. in the he was in poison for like a year when CC Deville was not 
feeling okay good. to be in a band. <laughs> but he really didn't Oz. know what planet he was on. I mean, most of the time, right. CC Deville did not know what planet he was on. But that for that one year, he really didn't. Know. He really was yeah. beyond uh-huh. the pale and needed a little breaky poo. <laughs> so, uh, so Richie's in the behind the music. You know, oh my god, cool. stop it! Yes, <gasps> great. That's and, so and, like, cool. We are still. Uh, it's so funny because we are just like together mentally even after i was just in pennsylvania to visit my mom for the mm-hmm. first time since covid because we both got our vaccines and harrison really wanted to see where we used to play so i took him to richie's old house and showed him a little sunroom on the on the side of the house where we were banished because we were oh too loud God. and then we got moved out oh to God. the barn of course because then you got really loud yeah i texted richie from his driveway said guess where i am and i showed him a picture and he's like oh my god you know Oh my god! So, He's like I thought that place burned to the ground. You're no, 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 insurance like, money. No, I'm just kidding. He's still like one of my my dearest friends, even yeah. though they live three thousand miles apart. You know, it's crazy that you two never actually did anything later in life because, and I, I think what you know, we just stroked Richie's ego. But honestly, you <laughs> you yourself have done a ton in the music industry, and like there's, I think different levels of when somebody says they're a professional musician, like you know, guys and gals and non-binary, everyone can say, oh, I'm a professional musician, but then you really followed through with that throughout your adult yeah. life. You know, I mean, like, it's not just like, oh yeah, you tour in a band. Like you've toured in a band that has toured with Jimmy Cliff with Open for the B-52s. You've done Open Frank Turner. You worked with yeah. Mary from the um, Supremes. The Supremes. Yeah. That like, was the most legit thing I ever did. I, that's up that there. Yeah, a I legit agree. bit showbiz experience right there. Well, I, I agree. Yeah, um, and I mean, you you recorded at Abbey Road for Christ's sake. Like, yeah, the, I'm you, a huge huge Beatles fan. We could talk about that for the rest of the podcast if we want. You know, this, this isn't. Yeah, we we really could, and we'll have you back on maybe for like a London episode. There you go. There but you go. um, yeah, you are obsessed. I mean, he's so obsessed with the Beatles that he named his child Harrison. That's <laughs> like, right. As, an, as a nod to George Harrison. So in case anyone didn't pick up on that. Um, well, so basically I came here to go to Berkeley, which yeah. um, was a real blessing. I I, I can't even believe I, I did it, to be honest with you. I came yeah. from such a nowhere place and I met so many amazing musicians there. Okay, but how much did Berkeley cost when you went there? Yeah, when I went there it was like, 15,000 a year, 15,000. Yeah. Now it's like $56,000 a year. A year. Yeah. 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 But the other thing is, it's like you, you learn a lot, but also the connections you make there, which aren't even necessarily kind of like a schmoozy way, just naturally mm-hmm. your roommate ends up on a top 10 single. And you're, you know, yeah. this, I know so many people that I went to school with who are touring musicians, tour all over the world with some of the biggest artists. And like, so it's, it's amazing. You know, I've chosen a different path which sometimes I feel a little bit like, oh, I wish I was on tour with Cheryl Crow. I wish I was playing with this band or that band. But what they always tell me is, this is amazing. You make a living playing music and you get to sleep in your own bed and wake yeah. up, you know, with your wife and son every morning, you know. Yeah, and that's time that, that you can't ever get back. I mean, you did right. the tour thing. You were on tour with huge names and did the I did a lot tours. Of tour. and... So after, after Berkeley, then I was in a band called The Pills, mm-hmm. which was a pretty big local band from sort of the late 90s into the early 2000s. And just basically to sum it up in you know kind of a a quick way is we opened up for every one hit alternative band that had a number in the name like we played with some 41 blink 182 yeah. yeah you know any band that had a number in the name 
you know, seven Mary three, you know, we literally, <laughs> it's so funny. And maybe it was just that time frame in like the genre of music and where you guys fell that, that a lot of bands had numbers in their yeah. names, but the, it's so true that any band from probably what, 1996, 97, yeah through probably about 2003-ish, would you say, mm-hmm. give or take? If you had a number in your band and you had a number one hit or something close to a top 10, you played with them. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. we were kind of lucky in that basically what we do is play fast pop songs, like pop songs, like basically the monkeys on speed is what we sounded like. Yeah. They were really hooky songs, but played really fast, a lot of jumping around. Yeah. And some of them had a very slight ska edge to them. So we ended up on a lot of ska bills. Um, mm-hmm. We ended up with like, bands would play the warp tour mm-hmm. but then we would go and do dates with jimmy cliff or the b52s or um the smithereens were like a big power pop band you know mm-hmm. like, there were all these different bands where we uh were applicable and we had a regional audience so when bands were coming through they would put us on the bill and we could bring in you know some extra people yeah and um, you go, yeah because you had clout you had pull you guys were tight i mean i remember the pills and i remember I mean, you played with, you worked with K, Letters mm-hmm. to Leo. I mean, yeah. it's, you had a good sound at that right time that was palatable to a lot of different ears. And that, I think, really helped you guys get on so many different tours and your longevity with that band. Because a band like that, let's be honest, it could have, even probably now, it would have petered out in a couple of years versus yeah. how long you guys went because of the the way that your sound was able to to spread across multiple genres almost and we know? were you know and you were, we were young enough that you could still jump around now you wouldn't be able to play any of those songs <laughs> i know i need a break no, <laughs> yeah now you play break you play one bruno mars song at a wedding and you're like can i say that that is that although we were never a massively successful bands we did have songs on the radio and in yeah. movies and on TV. And we lasted 10 years, which to my estimation as a rock fan, yeah. all the best bands last 10 years. Yeah. You know, so we did manage to do that, you know. And then since then, I've released three solo albums, which I encourage your listeners to go to Spotify so I can get that Absolutely. 4%. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. And um, I've done a lot of really interesting things, but um, somewhere around the time uh, we were, Darcy and I were engaged to get married. Uh, my day job, I was, I always had like really crappy day jobs where I would be allowed to take off whenever I need to go on yeah. tour for 10 days, you know? So yeah. never had fun things like health insurance or anything like that. No. And then I was working at this booking agency that booked music for weddings and corporate events. That's totally a day job. Never had any intention of ever doing that. But at, when Darcy and I got engaged, I thought, well, this is a good way to, make some money to pay for the wedding. And what I found was because my real passion is writing songs, I had always studied classic song structures. And I actually just knew a few hundred really popular songs. I just knew them. Not, you know, and I started off playing in cover bands before I moved to Boston, but I just would always analyze Motown hits and Beatles hits and things. I just was always in the, in the practice of, of when I would hear a popular song, just automatically I would kind of analyze the form, mm-hmm. what the melody did, you know, mm-hmm. what the chords were. And so it was really kind of easy for me to step into playing in these cover bands. And the fact of, that I could sing, I have a high voice, which, yeah. you know, is a real blessing. It's not, when I sing, it's not as raspy as it sounds when I speak. Whenever I, 
It sounds he doesn't like, sound like he just smoked a whole carton of Benson and Hedges. I swear. But I can sing like really high, like Steve Perry, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so, and interestingly enough, one of our more popular bands had a, had a uh, needed a, a guitar player and also needed on-site management really badly. We had yeah. amazing musicians, but they were kind of, um, sometimes the best musicians are not the most um organized organized together. yeah they can't pull it together yeah and you've got to find that balance i mean you could i could find you a million geeks who will show up on time who can't play that great you know right oh totally but oh to yeah. Find, like, yeah, yeah a really yeah. hot musician who will really bring the ruckus yeah but also get them there on time make sure yeah. they have the proper Huge. clothes on Huge. So the band really needed someone to be in charge of that and it was a little bit when i first joined that band which is called Flipside. Mm-hmm. there was a little bit of resentment from these older musicians who had really paid their dues in gb like who's this guy from the office all of a sudden gonna show up on stage and i had to really earn their respect yeah. by by music i had to really like um you know I kind of there was an early moment when I, we were playing a lot of r&b and stuff which um i just learned the parts from the records a lot of times these amazing musicians will tend to sort of take their the part from the record and make it their own yeah. i played the parts exactly from the records and i would get a lot of kudos wow you sound great because i was just leaving a lot of space for everybody else to do their things mm-hmm. i remember one night in um, vermont with this primarily african-american r&b band somebody really wanted to hear twist and shot and I was like okay and i just screamed it like you know john lennon yeah and everybody in the band was like, oh, that's your thing. You're the screamy white guy. I'm like, yeah, that's, I can do that, you know? <laughs> and I really kind of got a little respect from that. And that really became, um, um, you know, the blue-eyed soul aspect of the band. Kind of, We kind of pumped it up and added a whole lot more variety to the mix, you know? Mm-hmm. And then now this band, Flipside, has just become a really successful Keith, force huge. Yeah. in the local. We are booked all the time. All the years out um, in some cases. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And part of that is, I mean, definitely it's an exciting band where everybody's, it's not like a situation where it's a bunch of subs and people come in and it's a no, set no, no. band. Yeah. And there's a certain chemistry that we have. We do a lot of segues between from one song to another one. So when we're playing dance music, it's like a really good DJ where you beat match yes. and just slide right into the next song. People yeah. just keep dancing. We were very lucky in that early on, and this kind of feeds into a little bit of our, our uh, the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. We were very lucky that early on, we happened to play some kind of high-profile events. One was my friend Esty, who worked in Radius at the time, um, Michael Schlau, you know, the, mm-hmm. the chef who owns all the restaurant, yeah. had been kind of asked to put together the menu and do some of the event planning for the wedding of Jack Welsh and Susie Wetlaw Welsh. Jack Welsh at the time had just retired from General Electric. He was mm-hmm. the one of the highest paid CEOs in all of America. He was kind of famous for having one of the most expensive divorce settlements in America. And he had this new fiance that he was madly in love with. And they were going to have this very personal wedding at their, at their place in Beacon Hill. They had a townhouse in Beacon Hill and they loved radius. And they asked Michael Schlau and his team to put together the menu. And um, Esty, who was one of the main people there who later opened up the restaurant, Sam's with her husband, her husband drew had been my roommate. Oh my um, god! Before Atlas Shrugged, we used to have to have been this band house in in Alston, and like Tracy Bottom used to practice in the basement, and oh all these musicians lived there. And so Esty called me as a friend and said, "Hey, I'm doing this. I know you have a wedding band. Can you help me put this together?" So we ended up doing that event, and it was just like it ended up in the Herald, you know, like mm-hmm. um, 
all sorts of interesting people were there. Um, like uh, it was the right place at the right time. It was the right sure. thing. It ended up in the Herald as yeah. like this thing. And then yeah. the next thing was Elizabeth Hasselback when she was on the Survivor and, the, yeah. and before the View um, was marrying her husband who was an NFL quarterback. We got hired to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you know a couple other things that happened. Ray Allen, um, the year that the Celtics won the championships, his sister-in-law was friends with our sax player Alan reached out we ended up doing his wedding that ended up on the on the newspapers and started to get this reputation as this is the band you gotta have yeah we did this event for the um national health association at the Westin downtown and it just so happened that bill clinton was the speaker mm-hmm. and it was literally like he flew in came in it was amazing you know the secret yeah. service came in and kind of checked everything Sweeps and they said the okay yeah yeah like so it was pretty amazing because we were the band and we were supposed to play them on and then play them off and they wanted us to leave the room we we're like we said well we're not gonna be able to play them on and off if we have to leave and they said okay so they kind of gave us a really good one and they said you guys can sit behind the stage just don't make any sudden movements don't reach into your coats or anything like that just right. be cool be cool man. so it was like just sitting there 10 feet from bill clinton giving this amazing i saw him come in where he had like a single page of bullet points Dude gave an hour and a half speech that was like a cardiologist just talking about, about yeah. it was incredible. He talked about the, the way that a dependence on meat um, has a, a environmental impact and how it weakens us, our economy around the world and yeah. just how it p- plays into fossil fuel. I mean, it was just so. He was, know, yeah, he's an, was, he was an eloquent He was incredible. Speaker. Yeah. And yeah. On, the, on the, as he was leaving the stage, he turned to us to kind of give us this, patented thumbs up and he noticed that our sax player Elon had this beautiful black enamel summer sax and he came over to me and he's like hey man whose sax is that I was like oh that's Elon's you want to see it he's like yeah come back in the kitchen and we spent like 20 minutes in the kitchen talking sax with Bill Clinton that's insane well he's a huge sax player like yeah he knew just as much about saxophone as he knew about health you know heart health and everything else you know so cool so cool yeah so You've done a lot, like, and, and then you you started with the talent agency that then yeah. had all of the the bands that you booked weddings with and for, and now you have to sometimes sub in and, <laughs> and help out in other bands. And no, no, I, I you know if you get flip side, it's always me for the most yeah, part, you know, right. unless I wake up with no voice whatsoever. But I'm the what I do is my my business card says harmonic concierge. What I do is I meet with the bride and groom with a guitar. And we're going to sit down and look at your Spotify playlist. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about what you listen to at the gym. Mm-hmm. And we're going to really put together a menu, like a, a tasting menu of what's going to make your wedding or our social event just kick ass. Yeah. And, you know, I always have the balance of 100% of my brides say, no, we don't want the same mix as everybody. We don't want right. to hear what you hear at every wedding. And right. then they give me a list. We're going to hear Bruno Mars, Frank Sinatra, very much. They give me a list of exactly what you hear at every I wedding. know. But, I know. But there are, what I find is there are definitely things that you hear at a lot of events because they work. They get people out of their seats. Yeah. Once they're out of their seats, I feel like there's a lot of room to maneuver into more personalized musical selections that will really work. Yeah. Once a lot of people dancing, you could do something that's a little bit more obscure or off the beaten path that you wouldn't normally hear at a wedding. And if people know that it's for the bride and groom, they get caught up in that enthusiasm. And I've seen people dance to the strangest things at weddings yes. just because of the, the context, you know? Okay, so wait, what's the strangest song you've seen people dance to at a wedding? You you teed that one right up. I'm okay. gotta hit that one. Well, now you wouldn't think of like, like um, 
life's been good to me so far by Joe Walsh. You wouldn't think no. that's a great wedding song. No, I would not. But if the bride's father plays guitar and uh, that's his big song, yeah, it's and he gets song, up with the band and fucking kills it. Yeah, that's a good song. Right? Yeah. That's a great song. That's a great song. You wouldn't that's think, that when tears um, are coming down people's Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. think who was ever uh, Who'll Stop the Rain by CCR is a great wedding <laughs> song, right? Unless <laughs> no. the bride's father tells a story about how on Saturdays he and his daughter used to drive his pickup truck to go get bagels for the family and they always listen to, to CCR's greatest hits cassette in the truck gotcha. every week. And that's why we're playing this song for the bride father dance. Okay, and then so everybody cries. Yeah, then everyone's crying. <laughs> you know, okay, you know. okay. What do you and think then, the most? And then when it's ra- and by the way, when it's raining during that, and then it stops halfway through the dance, then it's really awesome. Then Thank it's you. yeah. I mean, you can't choreograph that too often, yeah. but when it does happen, right? So, right. what do you think the top songs of 2021 are going to be? Now that's quite a question um, because obviously, with tw- I mean, I'm always. I feel like it's my responsibility to try to predict what the song of the summer yeah, is going to yeah, be. What's yeah, gonna be we pop. were talking about this at your house the other day. And it's it's really hard because with a lot of contemporary pop music, it comes and goes in two weeks. It does. There are songs that are extremely popular for two or three weeks, and then six weeks later, that's old news, man. You yeah, know? like Watermelon Sugar, gone, done. Really? Because I feel like Watermelon Sugar kidding. is the one. <laughs> we were talking First about. of all, short. So that's, yeah. that's a fact. You can, you can do that song in two and a half minutes to get it across. And, yeah. And I feel like because it was on the Grammys and it was the one song along with Circles by Mac Miller that stayed on the Spotify streaming yeah. charts all year last year. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really curious about the new um, Silk Sonic song. I mean, obviously, uh, when um, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack played it at the Grammys, uh, Trevor Noah made that great joke. He's like, I look forward to dancing at the, every wedding for the next five or six years, yeah, you know, thousand percent. and he's yeah. right, but it's a pretty complex song. It's got a lot of like um, Philly soul hits mm-hmm. and the arrangement's pretty, you know, accomplished. So you will flip side can you, nail that like flip side will nail yeah, that, but, but another wedding band will not. That will right, be an epic have a lot fail. of bands sort of straightening out the curves on that one. Yeah. You know? And it, you lose all of the essence of, yeah, of what that yeah. is supposed to I mean, be. Yeah. Mm. So that's one that I think will be, be good. I mean, Dua Lipa's got some really cool stuff, yeah. and I think that's um, that's an area that I the, that's that I'm. Megan Thee Stallion has some great stuff. I'm not sure how it how it you know obviously WAP isn't going to be something you're going to play at a wedding, you know. Yeah. But um, you know, she has some other songs that are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, my my iPad is convinced that I'm very curious about what every move that Ariana Grande makes. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I open up Instagram, Ariana's on there doing something. I never um, looked at any of her videos, but hi, how are you today? And I know her dog's name, you know. <laughs> oh my God, I so, love it. I love it. So, I, so I'm always waiting for her to come out with something that's going to like really slay. Yeah. And be like, the thing with, with Top 40 is you want it to be multi-generational. You want your hip aunt to be like, oh, I love this, you know. Yeah, totally. And she, you don't want anything that's going to alienate me. People think, feel like, oh, this isn't for me. You no, know? totally. And like, you really need when you're, especially with weddings, there's such a huge range of people attending a wedding that like, you gotta find stuff that appeals to grandma, to, you know, the teenagers to, and yeah. like, you also at a certain point in a wedding want people and the energy to shift. Like you want the energy to get livelier. You mm-hmm. want, and I mean, not every wedding is that there's, I, I've done weddings with that were definitely more of a jazzy cocktail-y mm-hmm. feel throughout. And I mean, you're a couple, whether it's your bride and bride, your bride and groom, your groom and groom, non-binary, whomever, 
uh, they will have a good sit down with you and help dictate the style of what their expectation is. But that doesn't always mean it's what the crowd wants to, right. to hear, right? Like that's that, the hard part to navigate that people don't understand. Well, I do extensive planning for each wedding, like, mm-hmm. you know, probably more than 20 or 30 emails about mm-hmm. music specifically. And then I try to like either do a Zoom or a sit down if possible. To really, I really want to find out what I can play that's going to reference them as a couple. And it can be something as simple as like, I did a wedding in Vermont um, two years ago where somehow both grooms never mentioned they were both from Pennsylvania. What? I don't know how, I mean, we talked a lot about music and just never, but they yeah. moved, like me, they had moved to New England years ago. And, yeah. And I happened to be on stage and noticed that they had a huge wagon full of yingling lager in the back. Oh, that's a dead giveaway. So I had to just say over the microphone, I said, by the way, just out of curiosity, do we have anybody from Pennsylvania here? And they whoa! Yeah. And then that's when you like whip out a Patty LaBelle into Hall and Oates medley. And totally. It gets totally. real exciting real fast, you know? Right? I mean, you, know? you hear Patty LaBelle, Hall and Oates, no matter where you're from. The mood shifts. Right, right. right but, like, like, but when you yeah. do it and say, oh, you're from Pennsylvania, well, this right. is for you. Then yeah. it's really Yeah, it's like playing Sweet Caroline in Boston. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. And, and, you know, I always get the question, like, aren't you sick of playing the same songs over and over again? I mean, I never thought that I could be sick of, that I'd be uh, missing playing Uptown Funk. But, you know, you take 12 months off from playing Uptown yeah, Funk. Yeah, you want to play so Uptown I'll, I'll Funk. I'll play anything yeah. you want to hear. Right? I'll play Uptown Funk all night. Hell yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> For no money. You'll do it for Many free at this point. You want very happily, you know. <laughs> and and the truth of the matter is that um you never hear somebody say to a uh, a carpenter, aren't you tired of your hammer? Oh no, yeah. Because the hammer's really good at nailing in nails. Right. Brown eyed girls really good at getting your aunt. Oh yeah, yeah. get out of receipt at a wedding, you know? Yeah. Hell you know? yeah. So speaking of events, I think we need to talk about vendor meals. And I think in case our listeners don't know what a vendor meal is, it's something that the the vendor, any vendor, whether it be a band, a photographer, um, a DJ, sometimes even like, yeah, florist, lighting crew, sometimes depending on how sound crew, how big the event is, are entitled to vendor meals that the client who's hosting the event works out with the caterer and the catering contract. And I know from being on the catering end and the event planner end of it, that there's good vendor meals, there's great vendor meals, and then there's meh, vendor meals. Do you want to talk about vendor bandwiches. meals? Bandwiches. You get the bandwiches sometimes, you know. Bandwiches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the shocking truth to you will be that overall, I'm not overly concerned with the vendor meal. I'm there to I'm there to work. I'm there to play music. And we're there typically all night from like, say, like a six hour stretch basically over the over what we normally be dinner. So I'm more concerned with the fact that I have to get my, my guys fed. And what I'm really concerned about is the timing of it. You know, I'm, I'm always very um, appreciative and respectful of the fact that the, the caterers have an enormous task to my mind, which is to sometimes feed 250 people food at the right temperature, dealing with all their different, their dietary restrictions and needs and make that happen like, like magic, you know? And I, 
I really respect that. I, I kind of marvel at it sometimes. I see them at their, their meetings while we're setting up and they're kind of going over the plan for the night. And I see all these different people. Um, sometimes um, I can tell they're um, people who have brought, been brought in just for this day mm-hmm. and they, they coalesce as a crew and a team and they make this happen. So nine times out of 10 or maybe eight times out of 10, it's going to be a piece of chicken and two pieces of asparagus yep. and maybe a salad with like no dressing or something yep. like that, you know, and that's okay. That said, there are times when we really appreciate we get something a little special. And I, I can just tell you that the band really appreciates they notice it. Like if mm-hmm. the vendor, if the, the caters kind of hook us up, we definitely appreciate it. We feel like we're part of the team with them anyway. So mm-hmm. um, I can tell you that um, it's kind of a funny thing, but weddings at, say, um, out, an outdoor tent on the Cape, you'll typically get a much better vendor meal than if you're working at a really high-end country club. Like, mm-hmm. let's say the country club of all country clubs in the area. Right. You're getting a sandwich and a bag of chips. Right. For sure, no matter whether it's 7 o'clock at night and a black tie dinner or not. Mm-hmm. That's what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine, you know. My, my other big thing is um, I have vegetarians in the, in the band, and you can't imagine in 2021 how sometimes um, people who are in the food industry are hard-pressed to come up with a reasonable vegetarian meal for people are going to be working. My lead singers are vegetarian. They're yeah. really, they have to like motivate the whole party. Sometimes there's a lot on their shoulders and I want to take care of them. Um, Bell Mare down in Newport does an amazing um, stuffed pepper with like, you know, it's a veg- that's their vegetarian thing. It's so good. Sometimes yeah. I ask for it instead of whatever the, uh, the thing would be. I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a fish guy. So yeah. a lot of times we're working in Newport or on the Cape, I get fish. I'm psyched, you know? <laughs> so like a lot of people who do what I do, um people might not know this but in the music industry playing weddings and private events in new england is called gb which stands for general business and um so as i transitioned from playing original rock into also playing gb and trying to find that balance and the thing that makes it work for me kind of i don't want to say spiritually i don't want to get so highfalutin to say spiritually but just the balance of doing something that i that's creative versus my job what I actually found over the course of doing a couple thousand of these events is that I started to really zone in on the value of being of service to others. And it's something that really means a lot to me. I think that, especially when you're younger, the very concept of saying, I'm going to get up on stage and I'm going to sing my songs and everybody should look at me, inevitably is a very ego-driven thing. And that works for you in your 20s. Ego is a very powerful thing in your 20s. As you get into your late 30s 40s and so on it becomes kind of unappealing to be still so self-obsessed you know Mm -hmm. and what I really came to realize over time that is that there's a real um uh nurturing or satisfying aspect to being to having a skill set that you've developed over your Malcolm Gladwell (laughs) 10,000 hours many times over (laughs) yeah that you can use to make someone else's event more special make their special day that much more special Mm -hmm. And there's such a great opportunity to do that, that with music. And there are little things you can do. Well, you know, there have been times when obviously like something as simple as the bride's father wants to sit on a guitar. That's fantastic. Yeah. And like us being able to be a band and back up something that's going to have such a personal uh, connection Impact to the bride in their lives. for years yeah. to come. That's beautiful, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I really love being, uh, being, I think that being of service to others is a higher state of being. Oh, totally. You know, and that's, that's something I strive for. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I mean, my whole career is, is based on that. I totally yeah. agree with you. Yeah. What you can give to others in their, 
in yeah. a sense, it's their moment of need because they've never had a, they've never put on a big wedding before. They don't know how this oh, works. Right. Yeah. You know, so, and, and I always say uh, to my event planners when I'm working with them, you know, a lot of times at an event, something will go, you know, the schedule, something will go completely awry. Schedule it always totally does. Off. Always something does. happens, yeah. you know, best laid plans and all that. And I always say to event planners when something goes wrong and they're like, well, I'm so sorry, but you're going to have to, be. I always say, uh, a crisis is nothing but an opportunity for, for it to show off for us to show off why they hired us. Yeah, the way we deal with a crisis. Yeah, or a, a change schedule. That's why they hired professionals to deal with this. One hundred percent. So we can make it all okay, you know. Yeah, and so they never know yeah. at all. Right, right. right. That's the that's, that's why they never they hire know. people like us. Yeah, you never they know never know that uh, that I, I forgot to order the chairs leave. for the ceremony. You will right. never know that, but I did. Like the bride does time. not need to know that I chartered a plane to get the lead singer from Rochester to Nantucket on time. Right, right. I did one time. And one of the chairs <laughs> I forgot at a ceremony was a wedding you and I did together at Elm Bank. Yeah, and I, I forgot love, I to order the chairs. Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, whoopsie. Yeah. But we made it happen. Yeah. No, I think that was one of the first times we saw each other in a non-rock setting. We're like, whoa! Yeah, we're like, what are you doing? Oh, oh my God! Yeah, for sure. No. For sure. So speaking of seafood, let's, we need to, we're going to, we're going to. Good segue, right? Yeah, this is a great segue. We're going to, we're going to segue into the topic at hand. Tin fish. Tin <laughs> fish. Well, such a strange love that you dare I say obsession <laughs> that you have with tinned fish I mean you are not biased you like all seafood I've I seen do. I remember one of the first times I went out to eat with you and Harrison um and Harrison was real real little he's old now he's 45 and when he was real little we went <laughs> He's not. He's, he's basically Mother. in college. And <laughs> I know we sat down and you guys were like, you want to get some oysters? I'm like, oh yeah, I love oysters. I've never seen like a six-year-old crush. I mean, yeah. crush a dozen and a half on his own. Yeah. I don't even think we were at a restaurant in the seaport before the seaport is the seaport now. And it, it he ate oysters so quickly i really don't know if i was able to even pick one up darcy your wife had to like literally yell at him and be like stop eating them you have to share buddy (laughs) it's like we we had a great time one time at um uh eastern standard because they they were so enamored he was four at the time he was eating oysters they kept bringing him to him i was like ah keep doing it buddy bring us more for your oysters (laughs) yeah no shit yeah Yeah, rip that place gone so sad so sad so why do you like tin fish so much let's explain um, that and then we got to dive into some of these listener questions okay i would say that more generally it is a passion for small fish which may or may not be a metaphor for my career as well I don't. Were you, you saving know. that one? Did you have no. that one planned? You no. you you thought about that one, didn't you? Yeah, uh-huh. maybe a little bit. Specifically, small seafood and neurogenesis and how it affects people in terms of Alzheimer's and dementia. And they're 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 finding that people who follow Mediterranean diet, which is often rich in these omega three polyunsaturated mm-hmm. fatty acids, um, have less problems with dementia and and Alzheimer's as they get older and you know, foggy brain syndrome, which part of it, they, they feel like part of it's like due to, you know, anti-inflammatory things like blueberries and things like that. But a big mm-hmm. part of it is the um, um, things like sardines and anchovies and mackerel. Um, they, you know, they have protein, calcium, vitamin D, minerals and nutrients, uh, magnesium, zinc, but 
they also um, they promote neurogenesis. Mm -hmm. So they feel like this is something that's just really good for us as we get older, you know? Mm -hmm. They speed up your metabolism, which is mm -hmm. great, you know? Yeah. So my new jam, my mom got me this for my birthday. This is how I live my life as my mom sends me Can't a large fish. salmon weird fish for my birthday. Mm -hmm. I got these uh, sprats from, from Riga, which is a company. And they're, um, they're smoked sprats related to sardines, but they're like bristling, that small kind of bait fish. But they come from the Baltic Sea. Ooh. And they are rich in international acids. Yes, that's <laughs> right. And they're smoked and they're amazing. And, you know, when you get into this whole thing of why there's, you know, canned fish as a general rule of thumb, it's another way of preserving fish, you know, going back to pre-refrigeration era. So you're getting totally. to salting, smoking, those mm -hmm. things, you know. Look at you coming it's very full exciting. circle. I love it. You know, the smoke spread on a piece of to toasted piece of pumpernickel. Oh, oh now we're done. <laughs> There's, um, you know, of course, the big concern with a lot of seafood is mercury, but sardines specifically have high levels of selenium, which binds to mercury and helps um, actually helps reduce the amount of mercury that your body absorbs. Uh -huh. So, and by the way, I want to say, mention that I'm saying this not as an expert in anything, just an enthusiast. Right, okay? exactly. Yeah, neither no one of us medical are medical. Whatsoever. Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> No, no, no. He, he just learned this from the Google machine and that's a lot true. of research. Yeah. That's yeah. True. So I think that that's a great segue to answer a few listener questions. Yeah. That sounds okay, good. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm really excited that listeners had questions. They had a lot. Sarah in LA asks, I'm getting married this year, fingers crossed, and I want to hire a band for my wedding. I'm sure pricing is different everywhere, but how should I budget for this? Or sorry, how much should I budget for this? Congratulations, Sarah. Um, as you said, pricing varies widely depending on where you're getting married. The Northeast and unfortunately Los Angeles have very, very high mm -hmm. um, uh, costs for wedding music. It's, a, it's a, a good band in New England. A good band is going to start at 5,000 and go up, much yeah. up, very much Easily. up. Easily, yeah. And if you're in New York City, you know, double that. Mm -hmm. um, and the main thing that I think is important to get across about this is that the date of the wedding vastly impacts how much you're going to spend on not only music, but flowers, Everything. photography, all your vendors. Yeah. Um, there are roughly 23,000 weddings a year in New England at large, you know, Connecticut, Vermont, mm -hmm. all that, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. There are 23,000 weddings in New England every year. And 75% of those happen on Saturday nights between May and November. And I mean, I would even dare to say like May, even like end of May through mid-October. Right. Depending really on the venue. Narrow. Yeah. On a, on a September Saturday, we're going to get about 160 couples contacting us about the same yeah. bands. Yeah. For the same date. Right. Now the next day on the Sunday, it's going to be more like 20. Yeah. On a Friday, oh, right. it's more like 20. You January. Know. Yeah. January. You want a deal? I right? think you'll feel in January, January although January, best January is typically big for, for corporate holiday parties, you know, so we always work through January. Yeah, it is. But there's a lot of venues that because it's after technically the holiday season in December, January is probably a really good time to have a wedding. Mm. If like you yeah. could do it maybe like from mid-January on, because then you get out the first week of January is still probably holiday parties 
yeah. uh, corporate, but yeah. But I've done some amazing winter weddings, especially the Boston Public Library. That oh corporate. yeah, oh beautiful. Forget it, and it's like Dr. Chicago, and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful but venue, horrible. Loading. When I have um, um, a member of my family get engaged, mm-hmm. I make them swear to not get married on a September or June Saturday. Mm-hmm, because because you got to plan two years in advance. You Easily. have to. Yeah. If you want anything good. And it is the worst part of my job to try to sort of kind of kindly tell someone you've blown it. If you're, mm-hmm. Because like now, this past year, all the 2020 weddings mm-hmm. rescheduled to 2021. So what date, what date did they take up? All the Saturdays. All the Saturdays are already mm-hmm. completely picked over. Mm-hmm. And every year, a ton of couples get engaged over the holidays. They get engaged at Christmas and New mm-hmm. Year's every year. It's a every huge year. rush. Mm-hmm. And they're all calling going, hey, yeah, we're going to see what's available on September uh, September Saturday. Um, a kazoo? What year? That's what you have to say. You know, like, literally you know, a white year. I'm getting calls for Flipside for September of 2023 right now. Yeah, I believe it. So, so, um, so it really depends on the day of the week. Um, the other thing is, there, there used to be kind of a standard thing of like band versus DJ. Like, oh, well, you know, the standard thing was like, well, a DJ can play anything. A band, you can only play what they want to hear, what they know how to play. And it's not really practically true. Almost all bands come with some sort of DJ component at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll have pre-recorded music on the breaks with DJ software. So you can pick five songs mm-hmm. that you love that the band doesn't know. Um, when it comes right down to it, band versus DJ is a matter of budget. That's really what it comes down to. I think, if you could have- hold on, there's two parts to that, though. It's not just budget. It's also venue size. If yes, the yes, venue yes. isn't big enough for a band, because a band takes up a much bigger footprint on in the dance floor, in the main room where people mm-hmm. are hanging out. And if you aren't going to put them on a riser and they're on the floor and a riser takes up space too. So I think that those are budget and, and venue location are two yes. huge components of yes. Yeah, sorry, my event planner yep. side just well, had other- to, I had to say something. No, no, Go well, ahead. the other thing that's interesting about that too with bands is that sometimes people will say, well, we want a band, but we're just going to get like a four or five piece band. But really, the amount of real estate that a seven piece band takes up versus a four or five piece band is not that big of a difference because what takes up space on stage is the drum set, the keyboards, yeah. and the bass and guitar amp. And then a sax player takes the space of a human being holding a saxophone standing upright, you know? Yeah, same thing with an upright bass or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. it's the same thing, but it's still, you need to have enough footprint for everybody to have some personal, the musicians to have some personal space. You don't want to shove yeah. them close in a corner, you know? Like, they need space. And then you also need space to have the sound go. Right. You know, right. Like a if big, you're a big, in a small room, you're going to blow people out. Yeah, a big thing that I'm always trying to, explain to people as they're doing the planning is that uh you can be very strategic about where you seat your guests and most times your older guests really don't want to sit at that table right in front of the band's pa speaker no, they don't even the want time. to be in the same room nine right. times out of time but yeah. if you move them back 20 feet they're gonna have a great night they're not gonna be complaining to you the whole night you know yeah, as long as they can see the bride and groom that's all right. they care about yeah but i mean i can't tell you how many times you just see the people the guests come in and the table full of older relatives is right on the dance floor 20 feet Next in front of the, the band speakers yeah. And there's nothing either. Their wigs are blown back, and there's like we have the PA turned off, and there's, yeah. there's nothing you can do, you know. No. No. But with a little bit of strategic thought into you know into where you seat people, fifty to twenty feet back and a little bit to the side can make a huge difference, you know. Yeah, that's a good so, point. Yeah. So anyway, she needs to she needs to to budget. I mean, she's going to probably spend upwards of about twenty thousand dollars for well, a I don't decent think she's band. Spend that much on a band, depending where think, it is. Yeah, I think. 
in LA, you're more on the seven to eight range for like oh, okay. a good solid thing. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, and it's so hard to quantify what makes one band worth more than another, but you have to just kind of go on references and yeah. reputation because there are a lot of bands that are like a name and then there's just they just they just kind of um uh Uber the different band members. Uh, mm. there's a there's a company in Boston called Silver Arrow that's just straight up about it. They're like, you don't get to pick the members. You hire the bands cheaper than most of the other bands, or we're just gonna fill with people who know the songs. And it's like a peer-to-peer thing where they just have 20 bass players and like, okay, who wants to do this gig for 300 bucks? And they down the and you know, that's very different than my band where there are members who we, you know, they commit to like, I'm gonna give up yeah. my whole summer. I'm gonna give yeah. up my whole summer to doing this, you know. And well, they get paid I mean- more. The other thing too, though, is I've done so many weddings where people will hire a band or a DJ that has absolutely no event experience at all. And the the thing that you guys do is you MC basically the event in a way you're keeping the caterer and you keep the flow of the entire event and the timing and the pacing and like you're cueing the the toast, you're cueing the dances, you're mm. almost you're like a maestro helping the caterer cue all of these major components of what makes an event an event flow. And when you hire a DJ from a bar or a band that has no event experience, it's such a train wreck. Like I'm, yeah. I've witnessed it. It is a nightmare. And it's like literally you can hear a freaking pin drop. And people are just looking at each other like, what mm-hmm. are we supposed to do? And you're like, yeah, I really uh, pay attention to the catering timeline, even on stage. Like, yeah. yeah, I'll give away one of my my tricks, but I have really found over the course of several thousand weddings that if I wait until the caterers are clearing the first course, have most of the first course cleared. I play Into the Mystic by Van Morrison. Ninety nine percent of the time there's going to be a slightly older couple in the back of the go, honey our song and they're going to get up and they're going to dance and everybody's going to follow them. Yeah. So I have my eye on the catering timeline all the time. I have my, I work with the same sound man every week. Shout yeah. out Jamie Cohen. Shout and out. Jamie and I are watching those caterers and we know what's going on. Yeah. Big and time. I know, I know if the, if the entree is supposed to come out at 920 and it's 925 and it's not out yet, then I'm going to need three, I'm going to need some extra songs here. So I can start thinking ahead. You <laughs> Stall know? for time, man. Stall That's for right. time. And I'm always, I'm always all about being part of that team. You know, I yeah. want to be, I want to work with the photographer and the caterer. I want us to all be together and synchronize everything. So that it just flows and the bride and groom never have to think for a second about what I was telling you, you plan all these details down to the tiniest detail. Yeah. The day of the wedding, you just got to let it go. Oh yeah. Cause everything's going to go wrong with the point is that they never and, know. And, and you just, you like, I would remind you, nobody knows what you had on your planner sheet except you. hundred percent. So when, when the best man disappears when he's supposed to give his toast, they don't know that. Nobody knows that. They no. don't know that. He's drunk in the bathroom. He's with totally the, drunk. Some chick or dude. Yeah. Okay, let, we need to, more questions. Okay, we know. have more questions. You and I can make the longest I podcast know. ever. It's going to get edited <laughs> down because we're already at an hour. I okay. Know. I know. Gene from Instagram writes, what should I look for when buying tinned fish? Are there better brands? You know, Gene, there are such a wide variety of tin fishes. And I think what's just great to do is try things from different countries. You know, mm, Portugal, for instance, is for, Portugal is known for this amazing tuna belly mm-hmm. that it's better than any tuna you'll ever find. In any, it's not even just like tuna that you make a tuna fish sandwich out of. This mm-hmm. is like a salad. It's called 
ventresca, which is like, I guess means the noble part of the, of the tuna. And mm-hmm. so that's like a special that people buy as a souvenir coming from Portugal. Um, when Darcy and I were in Cardiff, Wales, we had the best meal ever, which was this, this dish with periwinkles and this oh, kind of um, so good periwinkles with this like local seaweed that was kind of like, it was like their version of a, um, oh geez. Um, what are those green swirly things we get in the fall? Um, Fiddleheads? Yeah, there was like it was kind of like a spring version of right a fiddlehead that was yeah that was local to Cardiff, and it was that with like a glaze. Mm-hmm. And you would look and you think, "Oh, this is I don't know what this is," but oh my god, it was served in this old bank vault in Ooh. Cardiff, Wales. It's incredible. Ooh. I want to go. Um, one of the greatest things I've ever tasted in my life was one time we were in London. And we were walking through Spitterfields Market um, on a Sunday morning. They have uh, this Columbia Street flower market where all the people come out and, and they bark out to try to sell you flowers. And then you walk through that. So you're on your, there's flowers on both sides. Sunday mm. morning, you're walking through there and you go to this, this big open air Spitterfields Market, or it's got a cover. But there was a guy unloading a crate of, of oysters from the Irish Sea. He's going to set up an oyster stand. And he wasn't even set up yet. And I asked him if there's any way you could shuck a few oysters for me at 10 o'clock in the morning. So he did, and he was, you know, he's giving me the old, you know, these were in the ocean nine hours ago vibe, you know. And, you know, my the people I was with kind of looked on horror that I was eating oysters, you know, out of a crate. And it was the freshest. Yeah. It was so good. And it was such an experience that I'll never forget in my life. You yeah. Know? No shame in your when you have When you have those, those try canned items from different parts of the world, you know, and mm-hmm. just see what you like, you know, they're so cheap anyway, you know. Yeah, for the most part. Um, Andrew in Brazil asks, writes, I have to ask, why do you like tin fish so much? I think we kind of covered um, that one already, but you, if you want to add anything to it, you can. I just uh, find the variety of tastes and sources where they come from to be uh, compelling. Mm-hmm. And they're yummy. And they're yummy in your time. I should mention, by the way, the Harrison, in relation to this question, Harrison and I did some field research for this show. We went to Salty Girl on Newberry Street, which is a fantastic restaurant. I can't believe you didn't take me. Oh, oh, well, it was for the show, but I had a gift certificate from Christmas. But they serve tin food, like plated with French Mm -hmm. bread and some toppings, you know, some volcano salt. so good. And it was so good. Um, So good. I highly recommend it. And I, I think they should invite me back for this for this uh, shout out. But Salty Girl on Newberry Street, yeah, it's so good. I made our Mother's Day reservation there. I made sure they had uh, Bloody Marys and Bloody Marys for Darcy, yeah. you know. But it's it was so great. We tried all these different things and highly recommend it. Okay, well, we'll have to go there next. We're going out to dinner, everybody, tomorrow night. Corin, myself, that's right. Yeah, my husband, his wife. Things are gonna get Things. loud. <laughs> know it bonnie in chicago asks i'm not from new england and lobsters kind of freak me out what's the best way to eat them all right bonnie don't what would you, you say um i think that the best way to do is to come to new england yeah you don't get great lobster in chicago no um come to new england sometime and don't be intimidated by it there are plenty of videos online the main thing about it is it's like you just want to avoid like hurting yourself on spikes and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so Jasper see, White has a great video on how to eat a lot New England lobster, you know? Yeah. So I what, would what tell would you her, say, Beth? so I would tell her to, to start with the gateway lobster drug, which is either a lobster roll. Sure. So it's already done for you or lobster ravioli or 
something that you don't need to tear apart. And the other thing, Bonnie, you need to know about lobster is that in the colder weather time, like between now and probably, what would you say, June, it's hard shell. And then Mm -hmm. starting in July and August, and even into, I would say the middle of September, it's soft shell. Mm -hmm. And so the soft shell lobsters, you literally can pull apart. Like you don't need crackers. You don't need a soft shell crab. Yeah, really. You can't eat it. (laughs) You can't eat their ectoskeleton, but you can, it it rips like a barbarian. You can rip it much easier than the hard shell variety. So, and I, do you hmm. find that, um, in more touristy spots in Boston, when people order lobster, they tend to overcook it to make the shell softer. I don't know if you can make a hard shell lobster shell softer. Oh, okay. I'll be honest. I think yeah. it's, I don't know if that's even a thing, but I would say that they probably over, well, I don't know. I Let's say yes, that sometimes they are probably overcooked. Now, and the you're main also going to pay a ton at yeah. a touristy joint. In the city. And also, uh, Bonnie, you may not know this, but larger lobsters tend to be less good to eat than smaller. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think like a chick is a a one and a quarter, I think is a, is that. So um, I would say like one and a half pounds is probably as big as Mm -hmm. I would want to go. And you might get two of them Mm -hmm. if you're feeling frisky versus getting like a three pounder. Like that's no, no bueno. That's good for posing with a photo, but you know. Yeah. And even then they're too expensive. Okay. Dominique and Montreal writes, I really don't care for tin fish and maybe I've just never experienced any really good tin fish. What are your favorites? Wow. Well, let's see. No pressure here. Well, for a lot of times for, for lunch, Mm -hmm. I will have a salad with herring on top, just canned herring snacks. (laughs) Who are you? Um, well, it's really good. It's really good. I, mean, nice I kind of do, I kind of do like a Caesar salad romaine, but I add, to, oh, sure. I add tomatoes mm-hmm. and I don't do, I don't do croutons and then I'll add a balsamic vinaigrette mm-hmm. on top of that. And mm-hmm. my, you know, and so that's, that's a really good one. Um, I think that those, um, the Portuguese tuna belly, that's a little bit more expensive, but that's, you know, that's well worth trying. How much is um, more expensive you think? It, it, I think it's like 14 bucks a can, but it's like a delicacy. Oh. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's not that bad. No. I get, yeah, no. but still. Okay. And also, here's, here's this is not a canned fish, but here's one mm-hmm. you can try as like sort of a gateway into the small fish world. Um, everybody knows smoked salmon. You know, it's, everybody loves smoked salmon, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like my my Jewish brothers and sisters have been holding back on sable fish. Have you ever had smoked sable fish? I've had, you know, I have, but I don't know if it was, I've had smoked white fish. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's sable. I think they're different, actually. Oh, really? I think so. Okay. I could be wrong, but sable fish has a lot more fat content. It's very like luxurious tasting. Oh, and yeah, like on a piece of pumpernickel, it. toasted pumpernickel, yeah. it's the bomb, yo. Yeah, the bomb, yo. Yeah, you need to go to a good New York Jewish yes. deli though to get that. And same thing, like I mean, I love locks and stuff like that. Yeah. But when you get it from a good Jewish deli in New York City, mm-hmm. it's the real deal, yeah. You know, and of course, there's a difference between lox and Scottish salmon. It's like there are different variations in there, too, you know? Oh, yeah, big and, time. And lox belly, you know, some people like the belly. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I, I'm, don't, I will eat any of the lox. I'm on. Yeah. I like, especially on a bagel. Give me a carb, give me some lox. Megan in Kansas ass. I bought clams the other day to make linguine and clam sauce, but honestly, they were chewy and everything got kind of gritty tasting. 
It tasted Ooh. nothing like a restaurant. What did I do wrong? Oh, I bet man. you have a better answer than I do on that, Beth. So I think Megan probably did not rinse the clams right. and probably did not. So when you have clams, a little trick is you put them in cold water and then you put some cornmeal in and the, and the clams will help spit out the salt or the, the sand in their shells when they ingest the cornmeal. From because what? the clams are alive and it's so when you buy yeah you don't want to eat a clam the shell does no. not open when it no, cook no. it no you do not you, you, will, draw you will regret that, that. I, that's what i'm guessing probably went wrong and it sounds like if they were well clams are a little chewy so, yeah so i don't but, know, you know what you're great? expecting maybe they got overcooked a little bit but the gritty you know thing is definitely is, um, the sand if you get some uh um cherry stones yeah just cook them right on the grill in the shell. They cook in the shell. It's so good when they so open up. So good. Fantastic. So good. You're making me so hungry I right now. It. It's only 3.30, man. I'm I know. starving. Oh, okay. You shouldn't do this podcast when you're starving. No, I wasn't hungry until we started oh. talking about seafood. Marissa in Massachusetts writes, what could I make with canned sardines that doesn't highlight the fish too much? Well, Marissa, um, one of uh, one of the things that I think works really well is sardines, which sardines are just absolutely excellent for your health. Um, you can do anything with cilantro and lime juice and an oh. avocado. And Ooh. that really kind of, it doesn't lower the fish taste, it just complements it in a really nice way. The, the lime juice in particular makes things very bright. Um, mm-hmm. You can do like a salad with avocado, cilantro and lime juice. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's excellent. Mm, that's a good, that's a good one. Um, Cecilia from Instagram asked. Hang on. Hang on. One second. Oh, (laughs) he's breaking out the guitar. Hold on, guys. Cecilia, you're breaking my heart. You're shaking my confidence daily. Oh, Cecilia, I'm down on my knees. I'm begging you, please, to come home. And eat some fish. That was awesome. There you go. Oh, I love it. Okay, so That's my Cecilia of my from Instagram. That was a good one. From Instagram. Right. My husband loves to eat stinky fish, but I can't stand it. What is the best fish for him to eat that won't make my whole house smell like Nahant at low tide? <laughs> I've been Nahant at low tide. <laughs> I know. And so full disclosure, Nahant, and we don't want to give Nahant a bad name, but the reason she's probably writing that is because it's a very unique landscape in yes, Revere, Nahant, and Swampscott, and Lynn, that it, it goes out, when the tide goes out, it goes out from... I don't know, miles, it feels like literally that you can probably walk straight out into the ocean. What would you say? It, almost at least a mile, if not, oh yeah, if yeah. not further that like it's gone. But when the tide comes in, the beaches are gone. Like it, it soaks up everything and we'll go straight to the, to the coastline. So right. um, a lot of seaweed, Nahant in that area at low tide, gets left and baked in the in the sun and that's probably why it smells a little funky sometimes well so, cecilia yeah. um, as beth will attest my wife thinks all canned fish is disgusting disgusting is the, uh-huh. the operative term yeah and so what so would I'm, you suggest that i that- am always uh take great pains to uh not c- catch any heat in that department so i clean up after myself pretty mm-hmm. fastidiously when i eat my fish your stinky um, fish 
my stinky fish. So lemon obviously is a, a key factor in uh -huh. getting rid of that smell. But in terms of what you can eat that's a little bit less fishy smelling, mm -hmm. canned salmon and canned mackerel are both mm. great tuna alternatives, which um, work great in salads. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, well, we're instead of making a tuna fish sandwich, a, can a canned mackerel fish sandwich is great too. Mm -hmm. um, and tends to be just a little bit st less stinky. Really? But lemon, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, conversely, mackerel on the grill, we will never get rid of that smell. This tastes no. great. Smells you might as well get a second grill. Right, right. Yeah, right. no, uh-uh. Yeah. No, so I was going to say that if you cook it low and slow in an oven mm. and you oven roast a piece of fish um, versus pan searing it in, yes. you know, on top. And like, if you set your oven to 300 degrees, you can roast like, maybe a pound and a half piece of salmon. A white fish salmon is probably the best one to do for high like fat content. It's but very yeah. common in um, Mediterranean countries for people to sell grilled sardines. That's like a street food. Yeah. They're fantastic, you know, and sardines on the grill don't stink up the place quite as much and they get really crispy and good, you know? Yeah. But I think again, then the low heat is kind of a key factor there. Yeah. When we were in Portugal, um, first night, Todd and my brother, my little brother got grilled sardines and unfortunately they got food poisoning. And so Todd huh. can never eat another Not sardine ideal. for the rest of his life. Yeah. They're really good though. They really yeah. are good. Okay. Lauren from Facebook asks, is the expensive tin fish really worth it? Well, Lauren, um, I can tell you right now. Yes. <laughs> um, where'd you say she learns from? Oh, we don't from know. Facebook. Because that's where I would say like Salty Girl is a perfect example of how you can take something that's, you know, kind of considered lowbrow. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, just working turn class. This amazing presentation and really uh, you get the most out of it. So, um, you know, I've had cheap tin fish. That's fine. And I've had expensive tin fish of this different, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a range there. And it's worth it. I think it's worth it to explore all options in all price ranges yeah. of tinfish. Um, Shannon, I love this question. Shannon from Instagram asks, I have a whole jar of anchovies that were over $20. What can I do with them besides more Caesar dressing? We are Caesared out in this house. Yes. Um, anchovies. Oh, I know the perfect thing. Yeah, I, know, I know. Great cod puttanesca. Yeah, you know, I was gonna say melt, melt some some anchovies in oil, man. When you're cooking, yeah. sautéing, yeah. Look up cod puttanesca because the thing about it is cod really is it's a white fish. It's not very fishy, and of course, it, it really uh, takes on the flavor of how you cook it very in a beautiful way. Yeah, and so if you've got like that saltiness on, of the uh, anchovies mixed in with tomatoes and the olives, mm -hmm. it's it's one of the best things ever. If, especially mm -hmm. if you like things that are kind of robust tasting. You know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's a really good idea. Anything that you would need to add like a little extra salt rumami flavor to mm -hmm. in a dish when you're sauteing the onions and garlic or whatever in the oil, you could add even just like a small piece of anchovy to it and yeah. melt it down and it'll melt right. Like you chop it up really fine and it'll melt into the oil as you're sauteing everything. And exactly. it'll just give that nice extra layer of, Ooh, what is that flavor kind of, you know, like, yeah. And I think it's, that's a, that's a great suggestion though. The cod Putinesca will link a recipe in the show notes. Gareth from Philadelphia. Philly. What's up, Gareth? What, what? I want to hire a band for my wedding this fall. Do you have any tips on making sure <laughs> this, making sure they play the songs I want to hear and how they can stop the band from playing crappy songs that my guests may request? Gareth, I know that you want the band to play 2112 by Rush at the reception. 
And I think that's a fantastic idea, but mm-hmm. um, no, here's what you do. The main thing about it is it comes down to the pre-plan. You have to find out what the band's planning routine is before you hire a band. It's a very, very hard thing for me to get across to prospective clients why my band might be a little bit more expensive, but I'm going to really care about what you want to hear at the wedding and yeah. try to make that work, you know? And a good band leader can take things that are not necessarily quote unquote wedding music and find a way to make them work, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, the other side of that coin is you do bear a little bit of responsibility if you're inviting people to a social function and they're bringing you a gift that you want to provide entertainment that's for all of them, not just for you. Um, it's not a concert. It's a, it's a, it's an, uh, the idea is to get people to dance, you know? So um, sometimes there is, uh, I find, Clink, 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 clink. Um, I find sometimes that there are songs that if you're sitting in the cold light of day at your desktop with a spreadsheet in front of you, mm-hmm. you might think, oh, that's that's a really cheesy wedding song. I don't want that. Three drinks in next to your aunt and she wants to hear whatever, Dancing <laughs> Queen, We Are Family, The Four Horsemen of the Wedding Apocalypse, yeah. I Will Survive, you know, yeah. all those songs. Yeah. They be, suddenly become a fantastic idea, you know? Oh, yeah. And um, the other thing is, what I what I tend to do with my band is if if somebody really wants to hear one of those really predictable songs, we play it for verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and on to the next song. We don't yeah. belabor the point, you know. Yeah. We give you a taste of it, so you know. And and I have and I I have no judgment about anybody's musical taste. Anything that people want to hear, there is nothing where I go, what a cheese ball, you know. I'm there for the client. I'm there to serve the yeah. event. So Unless whatever you want to hear, if I can play it, I'm more than happy to do so. Country. Well, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. And, you know, um, no, on I'm the kidding. country tip, so much of modern country is really just singer songwriter stuff. Yeah. Now anyway, you know, yeah. and it's like I can find a way into something that I can relate to. For me, the hardest part of a lot of modern country is if someone has a real deep voice, there's nobody in my band that can do that, you know. Yeah. So you end up kind of uh, playing it in a higher key or but yeah. I mean, you know, I think a lot of modern country. Not so much the stuff about my gun rack and my beard and blue jeans and right. all that. I'm not so, but there are some really good messages in country music that are really um, um, uh, germane to a wedding, to a romantic situation. Yeah, you're right. Very good. Yeah, you that's know, they a work nice really way to well. Put it. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Maddie from Instagram asks, "I only know one kind of fish in a can: tuna fish." Right. What kinds of tin fish do you eat other than tuna fish? Well, Maddie, I think we kind of went over that, but maybe corn, you can just list them. Mackerel, sardines. You've got your herring, salmon, sardines, mackerel, albacore, tuna, tuna in uh, olive oil, crab meat, clams, baby shrimp, anchovies, oysters, yellowfin, tuna, octopus, trout, sprats, cockles, and periwinkles. Whoa! Hey now! That's just off the top of my head. Yeah, I will put all that in squid, the show notes. Squids in there. Like, you, you said uh, squid. At, uh, yeah, I've had some really good spicy squid. Like, oh, so good. So good. So good. Sean in... Uh, Connecticut asks, what are your favorite shellfish recipes? Mm. 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 Well, I just love raw oysters and I'm a yeah. dab hand at shucking myself personally. I know, I know. Um, you know, you can't be like clams with linguine. That's pretty great. I yeah. It's like a classic, you know. Um, I put grilled shrimp on everything. Yeah. On everything, you on know. On everything, yeah. What about yeah. you, Beth? What, 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 what? You know, I really love a good like fisherman's kind of stew where it's like, yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like, right. You've got the clams, the little yeah. odd pieces of fish, the mussels, the shrimp. Oh, so, the Portuguese, the Portuguese, the chorizo in there is really good too. You, you love know? that. What's the dish you've been making right oh, now at home? The fava beans with? and chorizo. Yeah, the fava beans and chorizo. We're trying to copy the Azorian restaurant in Gloucester. Yeah. And, uh, it's one of our favorite things to eat there. And I think what we've found is that, interestingly enough, it's better if we don't use canned fava beans. What we found is when we use dried fava beans, it's closer in texture to mm -hmm. the Azorian restaurant. Well, I found fresh fava beans for you. Oh, interesting. In uh, the Lebanese market in Norwood. Nice. Mm -hmm. So Great. if you go there um, on Route 1 in Norwood, I love like, this so market. If they you go there on the way fava. to our, our dinner tomorrow and they bring us some fava beans, and that'd be really perfect for me. Maybe. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I will, but I appreciate your uh your tenacity with that, with that. No, I doubt, I doubt it, but I love you. Maybe, maybe you never know. You never know. Um, okay, what are you excited about cooking right now in your own home kitchen? That that fava bean fava bean and chorizo. It is ruling my world. You know, I just, I think so, you've eaten it once a week since you've been yes. going up to Gloucester. Yeah, my, I agree. My, I'm yeah. so, I am so lucky because my beautiful wife cooks a great dinner for me every night. I don't know how I'm getting away with it. I keep waiting for it to like, and when the meal yeah, ticket stops, for it to go like, yeah. no, I've worked all day too. You know, yeah, she really likes cooking and she cooks healthy recipes for me every day. And I'm really lucky. Yes. So I have my oatmeal every morning. I'm very routine about my oatmeal, which is like, Quite honestly, the best part of my day every day is when I eat my oatmeal. What do you put in your oatmeal? Love my oatmeal. And then I usually have like a, a salad with some sort of fish for lunch, uh -huh. something along those lines. And then she always cooks something really nice for me for dinner. Yeah. So what do you put in your oatmeal? I'm, um, I do um, a very small amount of granola and fresh blueberries. What kind of granola? Homemade? Or are you getting it? Oh, no, bag? I use pumpkin flax granola. And just a oh, small the Elizabeth brand? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Because, you know, it's all sugar. So I just put a little bit of there. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to kickboxing, I have this protein powder that I'll use instead. It's, okay. uh, you know, maple flavored. And that's really good, too. Yum. So how can people find you? How can they get a hold of you? Well, promote you yourself. Tell event, them everything right now. Go ahead. Okay. If you're having an event and you need music, if you need a DJ or a band or a photo booth or uplighting or a ceremony PA system or a juggler or a harpist or a Bridgerton style swing uh, string quartet, you should look at www.murrayhilltowns.com, like Murray Hill in New York. Mm -hmm. We've got and, all, and there's like a ton of wedding information in there. If you look in the blog section, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I'm an incessant blogger. And if you want to hear my music, you can just go to Spotify and put in coronashley.com or coronashley. And then coronashley.com is my, my website. A bunch of music out there. What's your Instagram? Uh, coronashley. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there I am. There yep. you are. I love it. I'll link everything in the show notes. Oh, thanks. So thanks. one last question. I could use some more friends. I know. Oh, you have way too many friends. Oh. Um, okay. One last question. Yeah. If COVID wasn't a thing and you had buckets and buckets of money. Where are you going and what are you eating? Mm, this is, I've been thinking about this. I think Portugal, because I've been to Spain a bunch of times. We've played yeah. there a few times. Never been to Portugal. Yeah. So I think I that's the next destination. Darcy and I also really want to go to Scotland. She's her heritage is Scottish and I've played there, but I've never been there as a tourist. Excellent. Well, I can, I've been to both places. And so I'm going to put a laundry list of things together for you 
for both Thank places. You. And I probably will come. So oh, that sounds great. <laughs> the four of us will go on an, uh, a nice that, European adventure. That sounds like a food adventure right there. We can have a lot. Oh, man. We're going to eat the hell out of it. I yeah. love you so much. Thank you for Becky, doing this. You're the best. Love Everybody you. Knows I'll best. see you tomorrow night for dinner. That sounds there. great. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. It was so much fun to chat with you about all things tin fish. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to go to the website to check out the show notes, my food photography, elizabethrfuller.com. If you have any questions for the podcast, do you want to work together? Do you need culinary things sleuthed? Send me an email at letsgoonafoodadventure@gmail.com at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at letsgoonafoodadventure. All right, you guys, you know the drill. Again, <laughs> there's a lot of drills. Be kind to one another. Be safe this weekend. Make some yummy food. It's a Memorial Day weekend, probably on a grill, and I'll catch you next week. All right, I'll see you guys later. Bye.